0: And we're in James chapter 3, uh, verse 13 is where we're going to pick up the text today. If you're following along on, on version, if you have that on your tablet, your phone, you can go there under live events. Uh, you'll, you'll find our notes there, the scriptures. You can, you can follow along with that. Or if you're good old, old school, you got something leather or semi-leather in your hand, you can just follow along and, and write notes in it. This is a living textbook, guys. We, we can write in it, we can highlight it, uh, and we can learn from it. So let the word speak to us this morning. Because, you know, we live in an age, and it's very important that we understand the day we live in. We live in an age where it seems like there is an overall edginess to people. You know, can, can we understand that coming out of the political season we've come out of? And it seems like we're, we're all pressed to always be right, and we're determined to always be seen as right, correct? And in fact, if we don't come off as right, we'll let you know why we're right and why you're wrong, because we always seem to have to win whatever the conversation may be. In fact, it was interesting that media was uh, predicting, and I hope they were totally wrong in your house, that holiday gatherings are going to be very quiet because we just couldn't talk about anything, because we couldn't agree. We just need to eat a lot of turkey and just be quiet, watch football, and go home, and we'd all be at peace, right? Because we've learned, we've lost the art of having conversations. And it was interesting to me that today, as we, we started this series in James, it just happened to find that here in chapter 3, verse 13, James is talking about... What it is to have wisdom, especially in the midst of conflict, to have wisdom in the midst of struggle, to have wisdom in the midst of disagreement even. And it fits well because James was speaking to a people. Remember, they were a people who had been scattered by persecution. They were a people that lost their homes their income, their families, their ties. And here they are being scattered around the world under God's plan because God was sending them out to bring the gospel. But like us, they were human, they were fleshly. And because of that, they faced the same things we face. And James is bringing a correction to them and saying, look, there are going to be some things we don't agree with others about. There's going to be some things that are going to cause conflict in our conversations and our day-to-day lives. But there is only one way to walk in that that represents Christ." And I titled this message this morning, I'd Rather Be Righteous Than Right. I'd Rather Be Righteous Than Right. We've already seen in James chapter 1 that that James said that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. If if we're just angry about everything or toward everything, it doesn't accomplish the very righteousness of God. In chapter 2 he said that if we don't show mercy, then we'll be judged with the same lack of mercy that we show to others. And it's very sobering in that thought that God is uh, going to judge us the way that we judge others without mercy if we don't present mercy. Last week we talked about the poison of the tongue and how that it was so important that we recognize that our words bring life, but they also bring death. They bring healing, but they also bring hurt. And we need to learn to submit this wonderful gift God has given us called communication to him so that we may tell others of the greatness of our God. So today what he does, he steps back and he, and he gives us perspective of how wisdom approaches areas of conflict or areas we might not agree. Whether it be politics, whether it be theology, whether it be family, family patterns, or even whether it's office policy, I think you'll find wisdom in this today. So let's read it together. James chapter 3 beginning, beginning in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, and by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, if you are an underliner, I would tell you that's a great place to, to underline these words. It says, show it to them, show it by their good life, and by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What he's saying is, if you want to display wisdom, let it begin right there by your basic morality coming through your life that is coming from a holy fear of your God. That basically we do good, Not just because we're conformed to do good, but we do good because our God is good and we respect him so much we want that goodness to flow through us. And he goes on and says, and if you do that, then do it in humility, good deeds in humility that come from wisdom. So he's saying, basically, if your actions are on are, are humility, then they're not going to come across as this, as this arrogance. They're not going to come across as this one that says, I've got to be the center of everything, and I'll tell you the truth, and I'll set you straight if you don't know the truth, because after all, we are all about the truth. So he says we've got to be faithful in our wisdom and understanding by showing our good life through deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But, verse 14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. And deny the truth. If our self-righteousness just makes us angry, and we even come to the point of, of boasting about it, like, well, let me tell you what I, what I, how I told them off. I set them straight. He says, before God, you're missing the whole point. Before God, you're missing the whole point of wisdom working through you, and you're boasting from the very wrong position, because bitter envy is really meaning this, this anger, this, this ability to be upset, because you want everybody to see that you are right. You want everybody to acknowledge that you have the truth. And there's something inside you that just craves to be seen that way. And selfish ambition in the same way says it's all about me. And I want want you to come alongside of me. And I want us just to agree because after all, I know I'm right. And I want you to see it and I want you to expect that in my life. He says so if you harbor that, don't boast about it because you deny the truth. Such wisdom, verse 15, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It's it's of man. It's of nature. Unspiritual. And then he uses a really strong word. How many many don't want your wisdom called demonic, amen, right? He says it's absolutely demonic. Why is that? Well, we only have one who is known as the accuser of the brethren. His name is Satan. There's, There's only one whose goal is to separate, to cause division, to kill, steal, and destroy. And when we use worldly wisdom in presenting the truth, we are separating just like he does. And it's such an indictment to our lives. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I've loved passage. This is, a, this is a passage of Scripture that even from my early days, even as a teenager, I committed to memory a long time ago because I, I would read in Proverbs, it says there is a, there's, a, there's a goal that we all have, and that is we ought to pursue wisdom above all else. That we'd ask God to let us be wise, not only understanding who He is, but understanding how He acts in us and through us. And here James defines wisdom in a very good way for us to understand because he's saying wisdom is not a matter of how smart we are. It's not a matter of how much scripture we can we can we can pronounce or we can even repeat. He says it's not even how much re- well read you are. Wisdom is found by my good deeds. That I live out a good moral life and a healthy fear of my God. That I humbly come out in a way that says I want others to be served before myself. I respect others. I put their needs above my own. And so when I, when I do that, when I'm offering the message of grace, I'm saying, look, I have found the greatest thing in the world, and I just want you to have it. Not so I can put a notch in my belt that I've done my duty before God, because, but because I want you to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And wisdom is coming in that way through us because we're not just coming out and saying, let me just speak truth into your life, so much so that I'm willing to enter conflict with you in order to have that truth come into your life. You see, foolishness is marked by conflict and the need to win. And wise people know that being known for righteousness is is more important than even being known for being right. The fools focus on being right above all else. And they use their high indignation to cover up for what I call being a jerk for Jesus. Have you ever met one in your life? Don't, don't elbow the person next to you this morning, right? But that's what we see. So often we've, we've been in so many cultural wars, so many struggles through the body of Christ, that if we're not careful, we come off as being jerks for Jesus instead of being the salt and the light that God has called us to be. That the world may know the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I'd rather be righteous than right. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down this morning. There's only two principles I'm going to share today about about this, all right? And the first one is simply this. If I'm right in the wrong way, I'm dead wrong. If I'm right in the wrong way, I'm dead wrong. Proverbs, again, I said James is the New Testament version of Proverbs. We're going to kind of go back and forth today. Proverbs 17, 19 says this. Mm -hmm. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. Basically, he's saying this, if my words are creating more heat than light, then I need to stop talking. If my words are creating more friction than they are creating transformation, even if I'm right, I need to stop talking. But here's what we do. Most people think, well, they're just not getting it. So I guess I need to talk more, right? You know, they're just not getting my arguments. I just need to keep talking and keep talking until eventually, eventually I will wear them down and they will come over to my side. But again, the proverb writer says in Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Now look, I can be absolutely correct in my theology. I can be absolutely correct in the view of politics, at least in my own mind. I can be absolutely correct in how my company should run or how my family dynamics ought to operate, but if I use earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom before God, I'm absolutely wrong. Here I am feeling so proud of myself, give me a gold star for the truth, and God's shaking his head like, boy, you just don't get it. (laughs) You just don't get it that it's about others. It's about them coming to know me, not about you being right. I can even boast about how right I am. I can get on Facebook and I can make everybody want to be my friend. Or Twitter, I can make everybody want to follow me because of my little pithy statements that put down others and show how right I am. But God's saying, if that's the wisdom you're going with, guess what, you're not really on my team. It's time to recognize that because the second principle is this. We are called to be recruiters, not guard dogs. We are called to be recruiters, not guard dogs. Just want to know this morning, do we understand that God does not need our protection? Shake head, I know you have tryptophan working in your system right now, but movement helps, okay? God does not need protection. Nowhere in the Bible does he say, go out and protect God because he's a weak God and we've got to prove to everybody that he actually is God. No, God does not need our protection. So he's called us to be recruiters, not Christian Rottweilers. He's called us to stand with the words of truth in our lives and not standing up to defend truth as if the world could somehow make truth even less than it is. Think about it. Here's our commission by Jesus as he was going up from the the grave, being resurrected, ascending into heaven. In Matthew 28, 19, the words to his disciples were, Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's where we miss this. A lot of people think we are to go into all the world and lecture people on how, how wrong they are, to go into all the world and to prove how much knowledge we have in our lives, and and, and, and to remind people just how far they are from God's, God's viewpoint, to go in the world and protect, to go into the world and stand up for God in, in, the, in the day of my upbringing in church in the days where we sang out of books and uh, we were lucky if we had an organ going on, much less a piano. God forbid if there were drums in the house, right? Uh, we, a lot of people really relate more to onward Christian soldiers than they do to lovers of Christ. And I don't think it's getting better. I think it may be getting worse. Because we've been through so much. There's been so many things in our society that are uniquely kind of shaping the church in the wrong way because we had so many things called cultural wars, and, and because of that, we, there are many believers that feel like they got to fight the good fight, but they forget that the fight in the good fight is the fight of faith, faith in God, faith in their walk before him, not a fight against others because God called us to recruit, not to bark and to bite. Never forget that spiritual warfare is not between people. Can I get at least an amen to that today, right? It's not among people. Spiritual warfare is not between us and people, but between us and the enemy of our souls who seeks to kill, still, and destroy the very life God has in us. Ephesians 6.12 makes it very clear. It's where our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Recruiter, guard dog. Which side do we want to be on? Recruiters have important things. Guard dogs have important things. But here's what guard dogs do. They bark and they bite at anything that is not familiar. I have a guard dog. This is my guard dog. Put her, put her up on the stage here. Now, does that look like a sweet dog or what? I mean, come on. Her name is Skye. She's a, she's a little bit crazy. She's an Australian Shepherd that has a Catahoula in her. So, you know, where you think, oh, Australian Shepherd, oh, how sweet. Catahoula's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Here's the problem with Sky. Sky is like a Venus flytrap. Very beautiful, but you don't want to stick your finger in the middle of it, all right? In the same way, Sky is very beautiful. You're like, oh, let me pet the dog. No. Because guess what? She's my guard dog. And what guard dogs do sometimes, because they bark and bite anything that's not familiar, they often bite and bark the very friends of the master. They often bark and bite, bark at and bite the very friends of the master. And See, sometimes if we see ourselves as guard dogs for God, we may be barking and biting at the very people God is drawing to himself, at the very people who need the grace for which we were saved. If we find ourselves barking and biting at things that are unfamiliar, then if we are not careful, we are on the wrong side of the equation of what God is doing through us to reach the world around us. Jesus had to address this to his own disciples. He did it in a parable. You may be familiar with it. It's found in, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13. It's the parable of the wheat and the parable of the tares. And basically, the way this parable goes, it says that Jesus told them, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And the wheat sprouted and formed heads. Then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, Didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time I'll tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. What he was saying to them was, Look. When we become the, the singular judge of, of, of the kingdom, then if we're not careful, we will pull people up by the root when God is actually bringing life into their lives. We will pull people up prematurely when God is actually working in them through his grace and his mercy. If we are going to be guard dogs for the kingdom, then if we're not careful, the very relationships God has called us to have, we won't even have. Because when you use the wisdom of the world instead of God's wisdom, you wonder why you don't have any redeeming relationships where salt and light are flowing out of you to bless somebody else. Isolationism is not what God's called us to walls around us is not what God called us to. The church is not a gated community. The church should be a community where light shines out and where grace is offered because people know it is only by grace we've been saved through faith and not of works because we have nothing to boast about because we know ourselves too well. James says there's wisdom in knowing that. He goes and he says, let me show you what real wisdom is. And he gives us this, this virtual checklist and we're going to just walk through it this morning where he talks about what really it is to walk in wisdom in our lives. Now now you gotta understand preachers love checklists because it's just so easy, you know? It's like, let's just walk right through it. And we're gonna do that this morning, but I wanna do it in this way. When I wanna do this checklist in a way that that we're gonna all grade ourselves a little bit, okay? We're going to put ourselves on a little scale not, not that kind of scale, we ate too much turkey, but on a scale of one to one to five, how are we doing in these areas? Because here, James is saying, if you want God's wisdom flowing in you, then this is the evidence that's going to be found in your lives. Now here, here's something you need to understand real quickly, though. I can guarantee you that you will have all of these things working in your life if you're only hanging out with people that absolutely agree with you. OK? I can guarantee you, you're going to score like, you're like, I'm perfect. Yes, if you don't ever come across someone that disagrees with you, you just might be. But be honest. How are we doing? First thing is this. Am I pure in my motives and my actions? Am I pure in my motives and my actions? Because first of all, the godly wisdom, wisdom from above, is pure. You know, we, we talked about this last year. We did a series called, I, God didn't say that. And we talked about what it meant to, when Jesus says, uh, do not judge, or else you'll be judged. And how actually he wasn't saying don't judge, but don't judge in a, in a wrong manner. Don't, don't judge from your own weakness. And in there, he used this wonderful example that I think is, a, is something we all need to be aware of. And that is he, he cautioned us to not have what I call log eye disease, In other words, when you see the speck in your your brother's eye, when you see the fault in their eye, don't go try to take it out as long as you've got a big old log in yours. When you do, you're just going to knock them out every time you try to get around them. And that's what it speaks about when we come with pure motives, when we come with pure actions, because we're wanting to come and bring blessing to somebody and not just show how good we are. I wrote in my notes this morning, clean up before you speak up. That's what Jesus was saying. You know, before you start telling everybody else how bad they are, let your own life be cleaned up, all right? Focus like God focusing on you. When we were, we were trying to avoid talking about politics all through the season, I, it always amazes me that sometimes in politics, I think it mirrors so much in the spiritual, people want to yell and scream about things they don't even stand up for themselves. Every time I see a politician getting up promoting family values, I'm like, oh, Oh, (laughs) let's start praying for them right now. Because nine times out of ten, guess what? They're going to be exposed for not having family values. That's the point. He says if your motives are pure, you're not trying to manipulate just to say what people want to say, then you will exercise godly wisdom in holding out truth to this world. There's a second part of wisdom, and that is am I looking for common ground? Am I looking for common ground? Am I peace loving? That's the description James gave to it. I mean, think about it. When I, when I, when I first meet someone, when I'm, when I'm introduced to them, when I'm going to a party or a gathering or something else, am I looking for common ground, or am I looking for what makes them different than I am? Am I, am I listening for things that we have in agreement, or am I just trying to find things that we would disagree about? Because if I'm looking for only what we don't have in common, I'll never have influence in their lives. I'll never have friendship. Because without common ground, I have no ability to connect. I have no ability to make a difference in their lives. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. I may be wrong about a lot of things, and I may misspeak sometimes to use the word of the day, right? But loving our neighbors is a requirement and not an option for those who follow Christ. It is a requirement, not an option. Paul said, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. But if we listen to the voice of the world so much today, what it says to us is we need to separate so far away and just judge, but what happens is we have no influence. We have no influence. Wisdom has influence. Wisdom has a right to speak into your life. Wisdom has a right to to show you the love of God. But it comes when we are peacemakers, which is fitting into the next thought, and that is, am I respectful? Am I respectful? Am I considerate, is what James calls it. Am I respectful, especially of those who disagree with me? Am I, am I respectful to those who see the world out of a different lens than I see the world? Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. I think one of the best stories we can read in the day we live in is actually the story of Daniel. And We don't have time to go into the book of Daniel this morning, but, but Daniel is just a wonderful example of what it would be like for us to experience if we are thrown into a society, thrown into a world where our values are, 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 are not only mocked, but, but, they're, but they're an endangerment to our lives. And yet Daniel was a man who was known for wisdom because in the middle of all that, he was able to exercise great influence on a king without compromising his faith in his God. And I'd implore you to read Daniel of these days because it's impossible to influence people who think that you don't like them or even respect them. It's impossible. We have to be close together. It's a relationship that things run on. It's a relationship that ministry flows. We can't even have debates today. What we used to call debates was I listen to you and then I talk back and then we listen and we talk back and now we just scream at each other. I can't even, I can't even keep it on, right? You just flip it off, turn, turn the TV off because you're tired of hearing the, the screeching on top of each other because nothing good's coming out of that. So we must be respectful. The, the next thing is we must be teachable. Wisdom that comes from God is, is submissive, not, not, in, not in the way we teach submission in the sense of in a marriage relationship or toward authority. But the word submissive there is really speaking about am I teachable? Do I always have to win? Do I always have to be right? Do I always have to be seen as the one with the truth? Because here's the deal. If I never am wrong, I never will grow. If I'm never wrong about anything, I never will grow. If I'm not challenged to think beyond myself, I never will grow. If I don't let someone speak into my blind spots. Hello, anybody have blind spots this morning? If I don't let somebody speak into my blind spots, then I'm never going to grow. James said in chapter 1, verse 19, we are to be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In Proverbs 12, 1, he said, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. The Bible said that. Okay, it wasn't my correction. That's that's what it said right there. He called people stupid in church. No, the Bible said whoever hates correction is stupid because in Proverbs eighteen two it says fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. Am I teachable? Am I merciful? That's the next characteristic of wisdom. Am I merciful? Now, listen, when you think about your own ability to be merciful, it's not based on how you view you, okay? But it's on how others view you. That, that really is a matter of whether you're merciful or not. And if right now in your mind your answer is, well, I'm not that bad, Probably in response time today, you might want to make that one right, okay? Because it says if we are merciful, we will not even keep records of wrongs, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. that's, that's, That's verses more than just for weddings, okay? It says that love keeps no records of wrong. Why? Because in mercy, we're trying to lift people up, not keep them down. In mercy, we're trying to pull people out of where they're stuck, not keep them there. So our merciful, the 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 ability to be merciful is not what we think about ourselves, but what is lived out with others and what they would see about us. The next one is, is this, and it's it's a good one. Is that am I producing good fruit or am I just stirring up conflict? Am I producing good fruit in my engagement? in my discussions, in my arguments, in my, in my debates, whether it's at work or at home, wherever it may be. Am I producing good fruit or am I just stirring up conflict? And guard dogs are the worst of this. They are the worst at this. They, they, they can be so self-righteous. Well, I told them off. You go read my feed, Pastor. You'll see what I said to them. And I told them how, how it's going to be, right? Here's my question to the guard dog. At the end of the day, can you point me to anybody's life who changed for the good because of you? Can you point me to anybody's life who has changed because of you? There, there's wisdom in asking yourself this question so often: is this conversation worth having? Well, I should have preached this before Thanksgiving, right? Is this conversation even worth having? I learned a long time ago, I don't have to have an opinion about everything. If you're at the men's group last week, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't have to have an opinion about everything. That's the, that's the downfall of being a pastor. Whenever there's a theological question or everybody kind of turns and looks at you and like, what, am I God? Come on, you know. I'm trying, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you what I can see, but I don't have to have an opinion about everything because some conversations are not worth having. All they are is leading to an argument. They're not leading to anything good or practical whatsoever. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 9, he says, look, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. You see, there are times we need to speak into each other's lives. But it's just like the Great Commission. The discipling was of those who believed, not those who did not believe. So often we want the world to measure up to the standards of God, but until they've confessed Christ as their Lord and become into that relationship and experience his grace, we have no expectation of discipleship. But when someone believes and they come into the kingdom of God and now they're part of the family of God, then we do speak into each other's lives and sometimes we do need to rebuke because rebuke of a friend is better than a kiss, the Bible says. The rebuke of a friend is a good thing because they're looking out for what's best, not just trying to find fault in our lives. That leads to the last two points of of godly wisdom and and one of them is, is this, it says, am I fair? Am I impartial? Do I treat my family and my friends, the powerful, the poor, the downtrodden, do I treat people equally? Do I I see people differently? Am I I friendly, am I nice to everybody, or just for those I'm trying to impress? At work, do I I give in to the belittling of the one who's the underachiever and just to be part of the crowd, or do I encourage and build up? In my family, do I go after the one that thinks they're a black sheep, or do I just kind of leave them on the side and don't want to speak to them because no one else will? At church, do I I sneak in and run out because I'm afraid and somebody might say something that's just going to make me feel worse, or do I find people that just come and wrap their arms around me and say, you are welcome in this place, and you're wanted here? In Leviticus, not a book you typically look for encouragement, but in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Because guess what? God has this thing for the least of these. Did you know that? God has this thing for the least of these. And that should make every one of us just be overwhelmed with love this morning. Because God did not save a single one of us because we were good, He did not save a single one of us because we had anything to offer. He didn't sit back and go, oh, man, he can sing. I need to save that one. Oh, that one, that one knows business well. I need to save that one. Oh, that one, man, they really attract people. I really need them in their kingdom. No. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of the cross, Christ died for whom? Us. And that should encourage us. We were singing that grace on top of grace this morning. I was like, God... I know that's a song we probably just think it's a warm up. We're just kind of getting going, but that is one powerful song, God, because it's only by grace that I stand. It's only by grace that we are saved. It's only by grace we are free. So finally, this morning, I think it's fitting that the last description of wisdom would end in this. And that is, James calls it sincere, but what I would call it is this Do I walk my talk? Do I walk my talk? Am I, am I the same always? Am I the same when I'm on and when I'm off, when I'm public, when I'm private? You see, what you see is what you get is not a bad thing. What you see is what you get is a transparent thing. And if we love each other enough, there are times that what we see we may not like, but we still love because guess what? We all go through times like that, right? But if we want to be fake, if we want to be you know, the, the Christianese so much, then, then we will not walk out what we talk. We just talk a good game, and that's what James has been hammering on, he says the kingdom of God, it's not about talk. It's about our actions, about what we do. So my public actions are no different than my private ones. L- listen up, all you parents and parents want to be and parents that are becoming. The quickest way to lose your kids is to not be the same in private as you are in public. Quickest way. That's one thing that I, I could say, and, and I was as we were eulogizing my father last year and just recounting the stories of our past with all the kids present, with all the grandkids. That was probably the most admirable thing that I could see with my dad, who was a strong believer, but I could always say he was the same. He was the same whether he was in front of a bunch of students teaching, whether he was out working a bunch of cows in the heat of the summer in Texas, or whether he was sitting at home, he was the same. You know what that did to me? It gave me security. And parents, if you want to put that secure place in your kid's heart where God can work, then you bring your walk home, you bring your talk home, and you live it as the same. Because when you see when what you see is what you get, what you get is great influence. We want influence. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I'm going to read that again. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Lord, help us, right? Lord, help us to take our cues from him. And let us say everything and let's do everything in a way that honors his great name. Amen? You see, to wrap this up this morning, to bring this down, because James has a way, there's there's parts of his book, there's parts of his letter that that in a way just kind of come off like, Come on, let's get on with it right there. Come off kind of hard and in our face, but yet we've got to to receive that word, and then we've got to turn it and say, all right, God, then then what do you want to do in me today, God? Because here's what we never need to forget, gang. Truth matters. Truth matters. We live in a day where people don't want truth to matter, but truth matters. Can can I tell you something this morning that's just going to blow your minds? All paths don't lead to the same place. Do you know that? Sincerity? Sincerity doesn't make a lie true. Truth matters. But if all we are is jerks for Jesus and we try to explain that, guess what? We're going to have no influence whatsoever in the lives of people who are lost in the darkness who God has called to come into His marvelous light.